Hello, everyone. It's Bet. Welcome to Living Your Big Bold Life podcast. Today's guest, Emily Stimson Chapman, shares about her journey during single life, marriage, and motherhood. She shares candidly about dealing with infertility and about her amazing, unexpected adoption experience that has blessed her with three children under the age of three. She also experienced many of these things later in life and provides encouragement for those of you that might be experiencing the same. And I loved her advice to those of you that wonder, should I be working or should I be staying home? You will hear very clearly the importance of Emily's faith in her life. You know, sometimes we think if we don't share the same faith as someone, we can't be encouraged by them. I hope I make it very clear on this podcast that we can always, always learn from and be inspired by each other. And Mother Teresa used to always share, we belong to each other. Let us never forget or we lose our peace. I can't wait for you to get to know Emily better, to learn from and be inspired by her beautiful, bold journey. Here's Emily. This is Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast, and I am your host, Bette Lucas. I am a mom of six crazy kids, I work as a VP in a fast-paced industry, and I've been on a health journey. But what does living your big, bold life even mean? Living boldly is having the courage to finally listen and do what your heart has been trying to tell you all along. Maybe it's to take back your health, write the book, go for the job, run the race. And I'm here to help you listen to that voice and to remind you to be you boldly, the world needs you. Hi, Emily. Welcome to Living Your Big Bold Life podcast. It's an honor to have you here today. Oh, it is so great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime I have someone on the show, especially someone with littles at the house. I'm always amazed in all the kind of orchestration that that they have to do to make this happen. And I'm just imagining <laughs> you I'm just so grateful for your time and I laugh because it's always quite a production here to make it happen whether it's my dog not barking, my kids napping or some other crazy thing like my kids I have one puking right now. So thank you for making this happen today. Oh my gosh. No, it's Fridays are always, we're recording on a Friday and those are always my days. I can, I have a friend who can always help out on Fridays. So we we try to pack a lot into Fridays around here. I'm always wishing when I have an interview with someone like you that I could just be on our couch, like with a cup of coffee or tea. And that's how I imagine it. Just being like, oh, getting to know you better. And so I'm so excited for my audience to get to know you better. I know uh, some of my audience might know you very well, but for those of my audience that don't know you or want to know you better, can you just share a little bit about who you are and do an introduction for us? 
Sure. I am a Catholic wife, mom, writer. Everything is always in flux these days because my life has changed so much over the past six years. I was a writer much longer than I've been a mom. I uh, have only been a mom for three and a half years now, almost four. I married late at 41. And my husband, Chris, and I were not able to conceive. So two years after we married, we adopted our first son, Toby. And then two years later, we adopted our second son, Beckett, and he was what they call a stork drop. So we weren't like waiting for him to be born. We didn't know he existed until we got a call. Uh, it was 4.24 PM. We were sitting on our porch on, I think it was a Monday afternoon. And our adoption consultant was on the other line. She said, there's a baby in Dallas who's been born and needs a mom and dad. And how fast can you get here? So um, we hopped in the car two hours later, drove to Dallas and spent a month there while he was in the NICU because he was, he had been born at 32, 33 weeks old. We're not quite sure. Uh, and the week after we got home with, from Dallas, we found out that our oldest son's birth parents were expecting again and wanted us to adopt. And so we ended up having two babies in eight months time. Uh, so I now have a three and a half year old, a 21 month old and a... 12 month old. So it's been, it's been a wild few years. And so I'm just it's really <laughs> adjusting to like, who am I and what do I do? And I used to write so much and now I write a lot less. I mostly just write on Instagram these days. Uh, we're in a season of Instagram writing, but yeah, it's been, I don't know. Ask me next week. We'll see what big life change has happened. <laughs> I'm continually adjusting here. I just want you to say those ages one more time. Just repeat um, those Toby ages. is three and a half. Beckett turned 21 months just a couple days ago. And Ellie is uh, a year and a couple weeks. So she's like, what, 12 months, two weeks, I guess. 12 months, three weeks. Wow. Yeah. So wow. our youngest are eight months apart. Yes. That is that is beautiful, busy, and blurry all at yeah, the same time. Awesome <laughs> and crazy all at the same time. <laughs> all at the same time. <laughs> Although they're pretty easy. It's the three and a half year old right now who has me like, um, oh, yes. you know, wanting to yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah, he's three and a half and he's boy and he's smart and curious. So there's a lot of destruction taking place here. So I remember one of my mentors early in my parenting journey telling me that the whole thing about terrible twos is totally overrated, but threes are very underrated and that yeah, I loved two. Two was yes. awesome. Two was wonderful. I was like, what is people, what are people talking about? And three and a half has me like looking at the like, oh, it's too early for a martini, but oh my gosh. <laughs> no, I know we're well, not supposed to joke about wanting to drink, but I don't I don't think those people have three and a half year olds who say that. So Yeah, no, it three and a half is it like I've heard the term three nager. I've heard a lot of things, but it is a whole new world. So if anyone's out there thinking that what? Twos were supposed to be hard. Why are threes so hard? Uh, listen to Emily and I. We completely understand and it's normal. <laughs> yeah. that's what my, I grew up, I was one of three girls. So I was had all sisters. And honestly, most of my friends have had all girls. So the, the having two boys, it, it's just really, I'm like, oh, goodbye, ordered world. Goodbye. Goodbye, nice things. It's fine. It's good. I adore my sons. It's just an adjustment for my very female surrounded self. Yes. No, that makes complete sense to me. I mean, that 
that's what's so probably in some ways like God's little sense of humor, right? Like it's just, you're like, okay, here we go. And it is so different. So I have five girls and one boy. And it is so different when like my friends come over who have mostly boys or no girls or it's just, it is different. It's a whole new level of wrestling and... They wrestle for fun. Like that's what they do. They just... (laughs) They're not fighting. Like they just, in the middle of a conversation, suddenly they break out and they're wrestling. And you're like, a tea party would be nice, but you know, <laughs> do that too. No, it's really true. And I actually have to really bite my tongue a lot with my son because he'll want to wrestle. And so he'll start wrestling like his eight-year-old sister or his four-year-old sister. And at first I want to correct him because I'm trying to like help him to understand what we do with girls and being polite and chivalrous at the same time I'm like no he's not actually being like rude to them or he's not fighting with them he just wants to kind of roll around on the ground <laughs> yeah my little girl we're gonna have to she's got to get tough and strong <laughs> yes to be able to defend herself from her brothers so. and she will she will it'll be really cool watching that so Emily you were you were 41 when you got married. How old was Chris? Do you mind me asking? No, he was almost 48. I think he was, we were a month away from his 48th birthday. So he's seven years older than me. So Toby was born right before his 50th birthday. And Beckett was born right before his 52nd birthday. And I was 45 when we had both Beckett and Ellie. So I was really happy we got Ellie in while I was still 45 because there was a question of she'd be born when I was 45 or 46. So yeah, so I'm 47 with, you know, Know, three children, three and under, and I'm tired, but it's good. It's good. I'm, it's all, I don't know. I don't really know what 47 is supposed to feel like. So <laughs> all right. the young moms I know are exhausted too. So maybe it doesn't feel any different. Maybe I, maybe I would be, you know, not tired at all if not for the three babies. So, well, I just love this part of your story so much because I do feel like a lot of people out there are really quick to say that it's too late or my window has closed for motherhood or marriage and yet their heart kind of yearns for it or they feel like the door is closed to additional children. And most of the time when you maybe follow up to why they think that and not in a rude way as a friend or just, oh, okay, a lot of times it is age-related, and I find that very interesting. And I'm obviously a little biased, so Spencer and I are 10 years apart. And when we married, he was 38, but we had our youngest when he was just shy of his 50th birthday. And, you know, that is unusual, right? I mean, I think you can you would say that that is unusual. And yet it's almost like by sharing about it, it allows people a little bit more permission. Like they're like, they didn't even think that that could even be a possibility for them. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I never, because all of my close friends are 
open to life. So they're okay. Catholic, they're open to life. I have lots of friends who've had babies well into their late 40s. Most of my friends right now are in their 40s and still having babies. So it never occurred to me that it was too late. Mm. Um, I think also if you go to big cities like New York or Chicago, lots of people have babies in their 40s and early 50s there too. So it just depends on where you live, where you decide that that's too late. But for us, it was just a question of being open. Our our desire was for children, whether that, you know, and however God wanted to provide those children to us. It's not something you can make happen. You know, it's if you're pursuing adoption, if you're pursuing getting pregnant and you're you're living your life in accord with the church's ethical teachings on new life, you cannot force it to happen. You really have to receive the gift of life, however it's presented to you. And that was a hard lesson for me to learn initially when we were pursuing um, NAPRO fertility treatments through NAPRO technology. And just realizing, like, I can't make this happen, no matter how smart I am, no matter how capable I am, no matter how I do all the right things and take the right vitamins and eat the right pills and we have sex at the right time, like, I can do all the right things and I can't create new life. Like, that's mm. that's a gift from God. And then with adoption, it was something similar, except it was the opposite. You know, all we had to do with adoption was kind of say, hey, I think we're interested in adopting. And God was like, and here's a baby, and here's a baby, and here's a baby. And so... For me, it was just really realizing how God is the author of life and God is the creator of families and however he creates that family. It's an act of surrender. And so it's not so much about being too too young, too old, but being open to what God wants to give you and opening all the doors and windows so he can do that. And yeah, I, I mean, we're at the point now where like, would we adopt again? I don't, we're, we're pretty, <laughs> if I was 27, I'd be like, I need a break. I need a break right now. I've got three, three and under. So it's not really a question we can decide at this point. We probably, unless a baby presents itself, our, our family is probably complete, but who knows? So now I may be feeling old. Now I'm like, eh, I'm 47. My husband's, you know, 52 or 50, yes, he's 53. Math is not my strong suit. Um, Me either. Birthdays either. I'm the <laughs> worst. Hard to go Barbie. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know. It, it does, there's some advantages and disadvantages to being an older mom. Um, I wish my knees were better. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so that would be nice. I Sometimes my heart hurts when I think about I'm not going to get to see my children likely, you know, into middle life. I won't know. I won't see my grandchildren graduate from high school. I won't be there to help them and guide them as they're, you know, flourishing in their careers or their families are growing. I mean, I could live to be 90, who knows? Or I could die tomorrow and it wouldn't matter what my age is. So there's a lot of unpredictable things we don't know. But in the normal course of things, I won't live to see my children in middle age. And that is hard. But it's also a gift to be a mom at this age. Like I'm I'm a lot more sane than I was in my 20s. I'm a lot more even keel. Um, I know myself. I know my weaknesses. I've worked through some of those. I'm working through others. I'm a much better mom right now at 47 than I would have been at 27. And God knows that. Like God, God knows all things. And he knew the children he was going to send to us. And he knew where we would be in life. And so it's just an act of trusting God and trusting his providence and looking to him as we discern these questions and not not getting hung up on what other people think. <sighs> I loved every word. I was just hanging on all of that because it's interesting. I've really struggled personally because I don't want to be like 
when people say, oh, are you done? I hate answering that. Well, it's such an awkward question. And I'm like, I don't know. Ask God. Yeah, ask God. Like I, but I loved everything that you shared because it's so true that we don't know how our family is going to play out. And what I really loved is that word open. Like, we don't know, are we going to be, have a big family, a small family? Are we going to adopt? Are we going to be a foster parent? Are we going to be a godparent? What what does that look like? But this willingness to be open to what that might look like and not let the comments or the outside perspective impact that. Because I, I will say there'd be times when we'd be having babies and, you know, Spencer was in his late 40s at the time and people would, would be like, yeah, but I just don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be that old when I have kids and I don't want to be. And yet so many people later will come back to me and go, gosh, I wish, I wish we would have had more. Like it's it's really interesting to watch that progression. Do you ever have people who will say that to you because you've they've seen through your journey that you can be in your 40s and later 40s. You can be mid 40s and be a parent. Does it ever provide encouragement to someone who says, "Gosh, maybe we can be more open too." Yeah, you know, I've never known anyone who regrets having a child. <laughs> like I've known a lot of people who've regretted not having more, but I've never met anyone and God knows it's a big world. There's probably someone out there, but usually what you hear is I wish we would have had more, not, Oh man, I'm really bummed. We had that fourth. Like that was a mistake. You don't hear that. Like people don't say that at least not in polite company. You know, my story it's, it's weird because God writes the world. Like, you know, we write books and he always sort of knows how to populate it with, with people and stories that, that help inspire and encourage and teach and so, I mean, my story, my, my story is my life. Like I'm not, you know, a character in a novel. This has been a, a wild and crazy ride that I've had to go through. But I also love that God has used it to encourage particularly single women mm-hmm. who are in their, in their 20s or their 30s and there's no good husband coming around and they're feeling the pressure of the biological clock. And there can be a temptation to settle, you know, to mm-hmm. to marry someone who is not a good man, to marry someone who does not respect them or their faith, just to be married and have a baby. And there is there is pressure in some circles to do that. Like, oh, just, you know, just settle, just settle, just settle. And I mean, obviously we have to be careful. We're not being unrealistic and expecting some sort of Prince Charming. Yeah, perfection. Yep. Prince Charming mm-hmm. and Jesus and, you know, um, all rolled into one uh, to come around. But I am glad I can encourage women to, that it is worth the wait, that just because you are 25 or 35 or 40 does not mean you're never going to become a mother. If it is God's plan for you to be a mom, for you to be married, like there is going to be somebody good who comes along and God is going to provide a way for you to, to mother people. And maybe it's not as, maybe it's not a biological child. Maybe it's not an adopted child. Maybe it's through foster care. Maybe it's through your work as a teacher or a doctor or a nurse or it's kids in your neighborhood or, you know, but when God calls you to something, he will provide the means for it. So maybe I'm able to help people see that a little more clearly sometimes. Most definitely. So when you were in your 20s and 30s, did you always have a desire to be married and to be a mom? And then how did you stay encouraged during that time? And what helped you to not get discouraged? Or did you just kind of own that some days you felt discouraged because 
this is how you thought your life was playing out and it was playing out differently. Yeah, no, it was it was a very frustrating <laughs> almost two decades for me because I very much wanted to be married. I'd always wanted to have a large family. I wanted to be a mom for as long as I could remember. Both my parents came from large families and I was only one of three. And I remember feeling like my parents had gypped us by mm-hmm. giving us four, mm-hmm. four siblings. I was like, my kids aren't going to have nearly as much fun as we're having. So it was a very frustrating thing when there was just nobody right coming along. And I spent my 20s and 30s as a very faithful Christian and a very faithful Catholic. And I was striving to live in a way that's, you know, to serve God and honor him and always trying to figure out what his will was. So it wasn't like I was kicking myself for making bad decisions. I didn't have any regrets about not being married because I was like, yeah, there's nobody around who I should be marrying at this point. But I was frustrated because I had that desire and that longing. And I, you know, like most women do, most women who are single don't want to be single usually. And I got very discouraged at times. And other times Uh I was, you know, I had a great single life. And I think that when I talk to a lot of single women, I'm like, you just have to make your life as great as you can without the husband. Like you can't be waiting to live your life until a husband comes along. You need to learn. You need to travel. You need to study. You need to answer whatever God is calling you to do right now. And you need to love your friends and build relationships. And if nobody is inviting you over, then you need to invite people over. You need to create traditions for your holidays. So like every Christmas Eve for probably 10, 15 years, I would stay the night with my nieces and nephews. We'd have a slumber party while their their parents got all the things ready for the next morning. And that was, and I loved Christmas. So I had a wonderful Christmas Eve and a wonderful Christmas morning because I sought that out. And so that's always one of my pieces of advice to single women is, you know, do not wait. Like don't do things that are harmful to you. Don't make bad choices that are, you know, could could make it more difficult for you to give yourself in love to another person, but follow wherever God is calling you right now and love, love your life as much as possible. And because I did that, I was generally a pretty happy single person. So it wasn't what I wanted. There were moments that were really hard, but on the whole, I had a really good single life. And I can remember at one point, not long before Chris and I started dating, thinking, man, somebody, (laughs) I'm not giving up this life for anybody who's not really good because I have a good life right now. So there is someone really awesome is going to have to ask me to marry him in order for me to get married. And someone awesome did ask me to marry him. So. Oh, I love that advice. I just think that that is so powerful. My 20s felt hard because I just felt like I was so wanting to find the one. You know, I was so yearning for that. And I felt like at times, you know, I did make some bad relationship choices as a result. You know, I think I was just so hungry for that. And I'm so grateful that God brought me to Spencer, my my husband today and but I think your advice is so true that there really isn't going to be no other time in in your life like being single too. So live it up, travel, learn. I just love that advice and really make the most of your life until, you know, God provides the person that you're meant to be with. Uh in marriage, if that's what, you know, where you're, you're being led to. Um, so when, 
when you and uh, Chris met, you guys had kind of a longer, I don't know if this is the right word, courtship. Am I correct on that? You, we had a long, for a long time. We had friendship. a long friendship. We were, um, you know, we were, what do you call it? Ambiguous friends. We'd spend a lot of time together. And then I would say, well, what are we doing? If we're not going to date, we can't spend time together. Mm-hmm. And then we would not see each other. And then suddenly we'd be seeing each other again. It was very, um, you know, Ross and Rachel. <laughs> Like, like, will they or won't they? Sam and Diane, like you name the will they or won't they couples that they string out for a decade on TV. And that was, that was me and Chris. So it was, but it was great. Like it was uh, looking back now, it feels like we were always dating and we were always married, which of course we were not. Um, But our marriage has really transformed a lot of the very difficult moments of the friendship. And I see how God used all that time to help us to be better spouses to one another. So, but yes, it was definitely a long drawn out affair, but not like, not like affair, but. Right. So how did you differentiate between those long drawn out ones that you kind of have to say like, no, like either, you know, commit or I'm done forever or how did you know that Chris was worth and how did he know that this was worth maybe, a, I don't know, keep fighting for is the right word, but how, how did you know that? Because I do think that's something that some people struggle with, right? They're, they're trying to discern that and sometimes they really don't know. I mean, it's... There's many layers to it because there were many years to it. So I would say initially, it's not like I was waiting for Chris for most of that time. Um, I would say for the first seven years, I was dating other guys. I was trying to focus on other guys. I was trying not to wait for Chris. So definitely keeping my heart open. And my prayer was always very much, you know, Lord, change my heart. Like, this is not your will, then you need to change my heart. Uh So docility to God's will and not trying to demand of God that like, give me Chris or I will die. Like it wasn't like that. It was much more, Lord, I just changed my heart. If this isn't your will, you have to change my heart. And could you bring someone else along? And okay, I'm going to go on a date with this other guy. And oh, he's boring. And okay, I'll go on a date with another guy. And he's kind of creepy. And you know, so that was for (laughs) seven years of, of our friendship. But definitely the last several years before we got engaged and got married, before we officially started dating, I had realized that, well, first off, there was no sin in our friendship. So he was not leading me away from God. He was really leading me to God. Like I grew so much in my faith through my friendship with Chris, both in terms of knowledge and practice. Chris is a very good man. He's a very wise man. And his friendship drew me closer to Christ. So that if there is a relationship that is pulling you away from Christ, that is forcing you to compromise what you believe to be right, that is a red flag that that is not something worth investing in. But beyond that, there was just grace in the friendship. So it was hard to be Chris's friend when we were not dating. That was really hard. And I would go to bed at night and say, Lord, I just don't think I can do this again. I'm just, I'm done. And I would wake up in the morning and I had the grace to do it again. Like I was like, okay, no, I can do this. Whereas when we were not talking during, you know, there were differing periods, sometimes months up to almost a year at one point, 
there was no grace. <laughs> like I would go to bed at night and say, Lord, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I would wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I can't do this. There was a peace and a grace in my friendship with Chris that got me through those last few years where I really had sort of settled into like, you know, I'd rather be friends with Chris than another man's wife. And I was open to having my mind changed on that. It wasn't like I was telling God there was no other way, but I would say those during that time, that was how through the grace and the peace and just that I was growing closer to God through the whole thing. And did you ever have friends that would challenge you and say, you know, why are you, why are you friends with Chris or why are you keeping that door open? Did you ever have family or friends that kind of challenge that? Not at the end at all. Not during those last few years. In the beginning, they'd be like, oh, Chris. I mean, it was like my friend's soap opera. So they would have their moments <laughs> of frustration with Chris and they'd be angry at Chris. But um, Chris almost died in 2012. He had um, some, he had kidney failure and there were some other problems. And after that, so we had not been talking all through 2011, half of 2012. And then I ended up spending a week in the hospital with him during that time. And after that, no, everyone's like, whatever, Emily and Chris, why would we tell you to not see each other. You're just going to see each other again if you stop seeing each other. So I think at that point, everybody, and they liked Chris, they liked Chris and they, they were resigned to our, our dance. And then everyone was very happy when we actually did date and get married. So, but my friends, my friends were not urging me to give up on him because they saw who he was and they saw who I was. And I think they all thought eventually it would work out. And it did. Oh, I love that. You know, friends are so, they're usually pretty wise, especially if they're your like close friends. I mean, I remember I look back at like my good relationships that I had one in particular pretty toxic relationship and my friends just being like, Beth, what is going on? What are you, you know, like right. wake up, you know, it's, it's, it's just really interesting. How would you say Chris has embraced marrying later in life and being a father later in life? I mean, he loves it. He, every once, you know, almost daily, like, we really should have done this sooner. But but we also know if we had done it sooner, we wouldn't have the children we have. So we, we, we don't spend too much time thinking about that. But no, he's taken to it really well. He thinks it's the best thing in the world for him. And he's an amazing dad. He's an amazing husband. I'm the difficult one. <laughs> I'm the- temperamental, stubborn, choleric, like redhead. And he's, he's just very even keel and just a good man. And he's an awesome dad to the kids. So I'm so glad that it has worked out as it has. I mean, it doesn't mean I don't get irritated because, you know, he can't like, he can't find things for save his life. And I'll walk into a room and be like, it's standing right in front of you. <laughs> um, or he'll tell me I'm on my phone too much while he's on his phone. You know, it's not like he's Jesus himself, but he is an amazingly good husband and marriage. You know, it's hard parenting three little kids that are this little. That is super challenging. But right. marriage to Chris is awesome. Oh, I love that. There's so much encouragement there, I think, on so many fronts. And you're also, as you mentioned in your intro, you're a writer. So how has now, you were saying, obviously with three young little ones, finding even time to do that, how has that evolved through married life and now motherhood? Well, it's it's changed with every baby and every few months. So when mm-hmm. we had Toby, I was really able to keep writing 
at the rate I had been as a single woman, because he was a great, you know, you get through the first few months where it's nuts. And then he was sleeping through the night and taking two naps a day. And I could do a lot without needing any kind of childcare situation. I was just writing around his schedule. And then we had Beckett and Beckett was an especially challenging baby. So I had to dial back on writing a bit and bring in a, bring in a sitter more regularly to help out just because I needed the help. Uh, and now Ellie has come along and I've had to like dial back on just about everything. Really for both Chris and me from the start, we knew the priority being, being our age and being that we've adopted our children. So there's different issues of attachment and trauma the marriage and the kids were the priority. And we wanted me especially to be as present to them during the day as possible. Chris ended up leaving his job at the diocese and as a teacher, so he could be present more. So presence to each other and our children is the priority. And that writing has had to adjust around that. But, you know, we still have bills to pay. So so right now I am writing on Instagram and I sell beauty counter on Instagram. And that's what allows me to like spend my writing time on Instagram instead of writing fundraising letters. So it's been a very strange adjustment to like selling things on social media versus writing books and essays and articles. But like the writing I really want to do is to help people know Jesus. And I want them to know their faith and I want them to seek out deeper knowledge of their faith, not just in my writing. I want them to go to the church. I want them to go to the Bible. I want them to go to church documents. And Instagram is a great way to, to reach people and to be a witness to people. And it has its downsides, but we think that that's really where God has has asked me to be writing at the, in this season and it, I'm sure it will change again. And so, you know, so I sell skincare on Instagram to make it possible for me to write on Instagram and it's all very strange, but also been a great blessing. And I'm still, like I said, I'm just waiting to see what else God throws at me because none of this was in my script for how life was supposed to be a few right? years ago. I know. You're yeah. like, what? okay, well, this is this is an interesting plot twist. I'm like, really? <laughs> really? This is the door you're opening. Okay, let's walk through it and see what's on the other side. So a little, I mean, a little kind of off topic, but related. When you were writing, what was your writing routine? Were you uh, write every day? Were you write the same time every day? Were you, I'm going to hit a certain words every day person? What did writing look like for you? Well, before children, mm-hmm. it was, you know, I was up at five. I prayed for about 45 minutes. Then I wrote until 10. Then I I exercised for an hour, then I went to daily mass, and then I came home and I edited and I did interviews. And, you know, so my workday looked like that. When there were kids, it's hard to tell you. Um, You know, because some mornings, um, when the kids are sleeping still, I'm up at four. I'm usually up at four o'clock because I have, I do have a newsletter that um, I send out monthly that always has a long form essay in it, or I'm writing something for Instagram, or I'm, I do have a series of children's books I'm doing with Scott Hahn. So that I get up at four, as long as I've slept the night before. And I write until about seven. And then I help Chris as the kids get up, I go shower, he goes out. And then I'm with the kids most mornings until they go down for naps. And then I might be you know, answering messages or trying to make phone calls or do some editing. A couple mornings a week, I have a sitter. So when, like I had a sitter today, my friend just stayed late so that I could do this interview with you. And then I can sometimes get a little more writing in or do an interview or take care of other 
do talk on Instagram. It's, it's a continual juggling act and I have no control over my schedule most days. And with the pandemics, even babysitting has been really out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just on constant flexibility. I just don't have the brain space, right? I know there are women who can have small children and write amazing books at the same time, but with three small children, I, I have not been able to adjust to have the brain space where I can do at length in-depth, deep theological writing (laughs) of a book length. Like that's just so hard for me right now. So Instagram is really my speed. I can write 2,200 characters about something. And I know it's a season. And so maybe in two more years or three more years, I'll be back to writing books and I'll have a more regular schedule and we'll have figured all this out. But it's been constant flux. And that's very hard for someone like me who likes routine and schedule and had one vision for my, even though I always wanted to be a wife and a mother, and that's by far the most important thing in my life. My career was on one track and it's had to take a very different track right now. Mm. Uh, And that is a little, not, it's, it's not upsetting, but it's unsettling because I feel a little bit unstable. I'm like, I don't know. What am I right now? You're asking me questions about what I do. I barely know what I do, but that's good. Like, it's really good for me. It's forcing me to just lean into God and his, you know, his plan much more. So we're good. I really love that because I do think that I found that in different seasons. You know, we all have these kind of seasons of life where you're not expecting to not have as much time or you're thinking it's going to go this way. And you know what? Life humbles you and, and it says, no, right now, this is really all you can handle right now, or this is where your focus needs to be. And so now does Chris work outside of the home? He's a high school theology teacher. So Chris okay. teaches, um, he used to work for the Diocese of Pittsburgh. He helped run the Catholic school's office. And then when we had, after we had Toby, he uh, took a job as a teacher. So he'd have more time at home. So he's, he'll be home in the summer. So I'll probably write more in the summer. See, this is my schedule right now. I don't know what's going to happen in six weeks when Chris is home. Right. And there's three kids like this, then I'll, I'll, I'll be doing more writing then, but it's both of us have adjusted a lot to the children. It is important for us to be present as much as possible and just give them as much of us as we can while we can, because we, we don't know how long we'll have with them. So. I, I love that you have made that your focus. And I think I'm asking you this question because I think a lot of women really look up to you and I feel like you're very wise and have such beautiful perspective on so many areas, but what encouragement do you provide especially moms who do work, whether inside of the home, outside of the home, are a right, you know, they write, they sell beauty counter, whatever that may be. Maybe they are a nurse or a doctor. I find a lot of women, especially women of faith, struggle with their feelings of working and motherhood. I don't know if you've seen that as well, but what wisdom would you provide or encouragement would you provide to someone who feels like maybe they're not as good a mom because they're a nurse or because they, I mean, name any job, um, maybe because they have to financially, maybe because they want to, maybe because that's what their family requires or needs. What encouragement would you provide them? 
But I think the important thing is discernment. If we have right priorities, like we know, okay, our, our marriage and our children are the most important. And we are have a clear understanding of our circumstances, what we need financially, where we are, you know, what our plan is over the next few years. Maybe a spouse is going to school. Maybe we're trying to be able to move, whatever that is. And you're, and you're constantly seeking God's will. Um, you know, what is God calling me to do? What doors is he opening? How is he moving in my heart? Um, how is he speaking to me through circumstances and friends and opportunities? Like that discernment is something only you and your spouse can do. And if you do that, then you have to tune out all the other voices of the world and the guilt and whatever, you know, whatever other voices are kind of nagging in your head. God has a unique plan for every single person and every single family. And I can't discern what plan he has for you because I can't hear what he's saying to you and you can't discern what he's saying to me. And so I think we have to have confidence in our discernment. Now, I think a lot of people don't discern. <laughs> like there's always right. that problem. You know, people get caught up in, well, this is what I was trained to do and this is what I'm supposed to do and this is what is impressive or this is what's important or this is what is lucrative. And that is a problem. But we can't worry about what, what everyone else is doing. We just have to get our own life straight and say, all right, I'm going to discern this. I'm going to really take this to God, my spouse and I are going to work through this. And then once you've discerned it, like that's the best plan. And God knows you're striving to do his will. And he is going to honor that. You know, he's not a game show host up in the sky. Who's like, Oh, sorry, you discerned wrong. You're going to be miserable now. Like he knows what, what we're going to do when we're trying to seek his will. And he's going to be with us in that. And he's going to use it. And he's going to, he's going to teach us through that. So I would just tune out the voices, tune out the voices, tune out all the voices, except for your spouses and gods on that one and your kids making sure that you know you're really att attending to how the children are responding to whatever you're doing emily today his interview has been such a gift and you've been willing to take time away from your precious gifts at home and your busy work life and all the things and as we come to a close I know you've offered lots of advice and wisdom and things for people to reflect on today. What is your last piece of bold advice that you'd like to leave the listeners with today? Let's see, how can I sum this up? I am wordy. I love it. Go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I would, I could never relate. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, listen to Christ and listen to his church. You know, know, get to know the voice of Christ and know the teachings of the church and a lot of the shame, the insecurity, the comparison, like that comes from not being rooted and grounded in Christ in his church. And so to take the time to, to really know what you believe and why you believe it and find the voice of Christ in all of that will make all of the difference in how you make decisions and live your life. Oh, thank you, Emily, so much for your time today. And if people would like to connect with you, find your books, follow you on Instagram, all the things, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, pretty much follow me on Instagram because I'm not on any other social media right now. Um, Emily Stimson Chapman is my is my handle on Instagram. And you can find you can follow along and hear my wordy, wordy, wordy stuff there if you want. So Oh, well, I hope everyone does just that. And I appreciate you so much and love following you. And hopefully someday uh, I'll get to have that cup of coffee or tea with you in person or that martini after. <laughs> I would love that. Let me know if you are ever in Pittsburgh. We would love to have you here in person. 
Oh, well, thank you, Emily. And you have a wonderful, blessed day. Go enjoy your family. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to write a review and push that subscribe button. I also hope you will come hang out with me on Instagram, Facebook, and my new website, betlucas.com. And remember, friends, be you boldly. The world needs you.